Romans chapter 12, we are attempting to apply the application, which is kind of what you should do with an application, right? You shouldn't you try to apply it? That makes sense, right? So we are continuing down this road and we'll be continuing down this road until, I'm trying to remember my calendar on my wall, like May, I think is when we'll finally finish here. I don't know, maybe it's April, I can't remember. It's just, it's about here. <laughs> if that means anything to you on the sheet, it's about, you know, about there. So, because I can see it in the wall, but I can't tell you what the numbers are. So, Based on chapter 12, we are to be living sacrifices always. We are supposed to be exercising the gifts that God has given by his grace for his kingdom. Now what? And I mean that. Now what? So what, how do I ensure that? How do I keep myself in the right frame of mind to make sure that I'm actually focused on these things? That is what Paul is going to tackle next. And it's fun that he does that because it helps reinforce what I'm always telling you. You don't just sit there and go, all right, I got gifts. I need to remember God's grace and I need to work for the kingdom. I got this. As long as I just focus on that, everything will be fine. Mm. Yeah, there, there'll be dragons there, right? Because whose power are you trying to operate in? Whose strength are you trying to rest in? And that's always a bad place to be. So what do we do? We don't change from the outside in. We try to change things from the inside out. The Holy Spirit's already done the first work. He's already changed the desire. Now, how do you change the mindset in line with that? That's the rest of chapter 12. Let's dive in. As my pages are trying to run away. So verse nine, let love be without hypocrisy. Ooh, it's our favorite Bible word. Everybody likes hypocrisy. We like to throw around hypocrites and hypocrisy all the time. Now, first things first, um, hypocrisy should be something we avoid in every avenue of life. This is something that Jesus taught. Go all the way back to the one Bible verse. Well, I take that back. The one of two Bible verses that like every person in Western civilization knows. Like everybody knows John three sixteen because we held it up at football games for forever. And I still, for the life of me, have never been able to figure out why. There's a whole documentary that ESPN did about that guy that got that started, and I just haven't brought myself to watch it. But So everybody knows that one. But then you know the other one that they know, right? They don't, if they know John 3.16, they also know Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Dun, dun, dun. But always remember the second part of that. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Real quick, always remember that's supposed to be good news for you, Christian, because your standard of judgment is that I am awful, that I am a sinner, I am corrupt from birth, and outside of the work of Christ, I am useless and nothing. Good talk. So I can't go out into the world and be like, I am amazing, I am awesome, and you people need to get the right one. Mm -mm. We've missed it. Because the starting point is our own awfulness in sin and the accomplishment of Christ in redeeming us. Not the accomplishment of us, but the accomplishment of him. So I apply that standard to the world. Yes, that thing that you're doing is awful. It's awful because sin is awful and you are a sinner. You have been and you will be until Jesus either calls you home or comes back. But... There is righteousness and hope and grace to be found in his work. And I encourage you and exhort you to lean into that. See, that's a consistent standard. There's no hypocrisy there because I'm holding you to the same place I hold me. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I always warn you. Do take the look at yourself before you look at Christ because it reminds you of who you were. We covered this last week. Before you see who you are in Christ, you always have to remember who you were before Christ. So that's just in general. But in regards to love... 
love excellently. So things like 1 John 4. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, pause for a second. Provided you define this correctly. So what definition should we use? Let's go to something like uh, Matthew 22. Teacher. What is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now you're already in trouble because the world will tell you, see, 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 you don't love us the way we would like to be loved. Therefore, you're a hypocrite because you're supposed to be loving and you're not loving because you're mean. And you go, okay, wait a second. Let's pause for a second. Let's run down our commandments. What's number one? No, but it, the summary. What's the summary of the Ten Always remember, the Ten Commandments are the summary of the entirety of God's law. And what's there in Matthew 22, it's also in Luke somewhere, read Luke, it'll do you good, is the summary of those Ten Commandments. So what's, what's the simple summary of the commandments? What's number one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what would that look like? Now you can go back to the Ten Commandments. It looks like not having other gods, like not making an idol, like worshiping and serving him only. So what would it look like then to love neighbor? Well, starting point are simple things, right? Don't steal from him. Don't kill him. He frowns on that sort of thing. Don't lie to him. Don't try to steal his stuff. Don't try to sleep with his wife. These are all good starting points, but it goes deeper. So Love your neighbor as yourself. If you were doing something that was going to destroy you, what would you want someone to do for you? Tell me, stop it. You know, like, I really just like setting my hand on fire. It's the best. You know, that's probably not good for you. Are you sure? Because this is fun. See, that's a silly example because it's obviously self-destructive and you have pain receptors. But let's be honest, the most self-destructive things that we have in this world are the things we lie to ourselves about. They're not the obvious things. Nobody runs headfirst into the brick wall unless you're trying to make a TV show where people will watch that sort of thing. Instead, we go, no, 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 this will be fine. I like this. This makes me feel good. You know, it's killing you. No, 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 it would never do that. It makes me feel good. It's who I am. Now, apply that as you will in your world, because this is the lie we tell ourselves, that I want this, that it's good for me. Now, the loving thing to do would be to say what? You know what? You're right. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. No, 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 no. It's killing you. It's destroying you. It's crushing your spirit. It's ruining your family. It's destroying your neighborhood. It's undermining society. I mean, all of these things are wonderful outcomes, right? This is what we long for in humanity. No, therefore, the loving thing would be to do what? No. That is bad. It is sinful, and therefore I will call it what? Sinful, so that you will know, therefore, I apply the same standard to you that I apply to me. When I see sin in my world, I rightly call it sin and then cling to the Savior who cleanses me from it. And I pray that those that are around me will point those things out to me if I don't see them. Because always remember, for all our diligent work and all of our trying to kill it with fire, there's always that one in the corner we're not looking at, isn't there? What is that going to require? Yeah. We need the neighbors to come along and say, um, have you seen that little demented creature you're keeping over there in the dark? No, it's why it's over there living in the dark. I'm trying not to see it. Yeah, kill that one too. Hmm. I want that. I need that. Because again, who lies to you the most? You do. Therefore, you actually need the community of faith. You need a loving family member. You need a loving fellow Christian, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ to come along and go, um, 
My bad. Got it. I'm with you. Let's go to work on that. Now, enter into the world. And they don't believe. They don't follow. What's your call, Christian? What do you do in every avenue of life? Wasn't this the acting direction? What do we do? We are to be living sacrifices always, exercising the gifts God has given us by his grace for his kingdom. So when we see someone getting ready to drive off a cliff, do we go, punch it, have fun? We say what? You, you, um, slow down. Cliff. Danger. My favorite silly movie reference. You're going the wrong way. You know, and then, the, then they go, well, how do they know which way we're going? Because we have the word, because God has shown us, because we've seen the truth and we know it. Therefore, in order to not be a hypocrite, in order for me to look at my sin and go, this is dishonoring to God. This is what Christ has died for. This needs to go. I want to kill it. When I look at your sin, all of those things are true too. And as I enter into the world, I praise God, and I live for him, and I know that if he can redeem me by the proclamation of the gospel, he can redeem them by the proclamation of the gospel, so my lack of hypocrisy demands what? That I do not allow sin to stand, that I do not allow whatever it may be that the world has decided today is the thing we love to be considered love, but I define it rightly by God and his standard, by what God gives, and again, what does God want for his people? He wants their sanctification. He wants their glorification. He wants them lifted up into Christ's likeness. And if that's not where they're going, then they will be judged. And what will that judgment start to look like? It'll look like the right proclamation of their sin. It'll look like the right proclamation of the goodness of God in the face of their rebellion so that they go into judgment with eyes open. So congrats. Let love be without hypocrisy. Go knock that out. It's easy, right? Of course not. We need some extra steps. Paul provides them. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Don't you love the NASB having to use the big fancy words for you? Hate what's evil, which is always a fun thing because nobody here has told me this yet. You guys are the first church I've ever been in that hasn't told me this, where someone always looks at me and goes, you know, you shouldn't hate anything. The Bible says I should. It always fascinates me. There's like people who's like, I'm going to be nicer than Jesus and I will hate nothing. What about the stuff we're supposed to hate? Like there's a really long list of stuff we're supposed to hate. Like in that Proverbs, like there are three, there are six things that God loves and one thing he hates. Like, if, you know, we're supposed to hate stuff. Again, in order to not be a hypocrite, I do so rightly. I hate what is evil. I cling to what is good. And that's one of the reasons I love this part. The second reason I love this passage is this is the two sides of the coin we always talk about, isn't it? This is the judgment and the redemption all in the same place. Now, how do I phrase this delicately? You, just as there is positive and negative reinforcement in life, and both are valid. Okay, coming around the mountain. This is one of those things that the end of the world will lie to you about. You know, you should only be positive. You should only be good. You need to praise more. Just because we use the term negative reinforcement doesn't mean it is in and of itself negative. Like, when you stub your toe because you kicked the wall, should you look at yourself and say, that was stupid? Yes, because what did you do? You did something that was stupid. And the last thing you, like, you don't need your spouse to come along and be like, it's okay, honey. It was a really nice kick. And had that been a football, that thing would have gone like 40 yards and it would have been amazing. <laughs> yes, but 
Can you positively reinforce everything? No, some things are dumb and need to be called dumb. Sometimes you need a negative reinforcement and if you won't kick yourself in the butt, you need somebody else to do it for you. So negative reinforcement is valid. That's what this looks like. You have a negative obedience to God, okay? And I mean that in a positive manner. You have a negative obedience in that you follow after God by not following after the things of the world, by rejecting them rightly. So Ephesians 5.11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. See, that's, that's a negative obedience to God. That is looking at the things of the world and saying, no, that is bad, that is wicked, that is evil, that is sinful. That's the wrong way. And I therefore will not go that way. Now, that negative obedience should always be a product, you say this without stuttering, should always be a product of your positive obedience to Christ. So things like Philippians 4. Brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Well, hang on. If I'm spending my life dwelling on whatever is honorable, true, right, pure, lovely, and of good repute, what happens when things that are not that come into my way? Do I go, well, you know... You know, to quote the great prophet Meatloaf, you know, two out of three ain't bad, right? We're, we're doing okay. No Meatloaf fans? Oh, come on. I'm highly disappointed that no one likes my favorite musical artist. And I'm not kidding about that. I, I own two Meatloaf CDs. Awesome. I love the food. Love the music. <laughs> yes. Fun story, Paradise by the Dashboard Light, just as a gag, um, Cameron and I, when we were dating, sang that in the car with her mother in the back seat. <laughs> uh, luckily for us, she, the spirit, it was intended. She was laughing hysterically the whole time. So anyway, if you've never heard that song, go listen to the whole thing and you'll get the message. So anyway, but you, when you're looking at the things that are right, good, true, and beautiful, you don't look at the other stuff and be like, well, you know, we're doing mostly okay, so we'll allow it. No, you negatively push that aside. You say, this is wrong, this is sinful, this goes away. Why? Because I have seen what is good, I have seen what is right, and I wish to remain there. Why? Because of the inward change that the Holy Spirit has wrought. So by his grace, by his mercy, focused on his kingdom, clinging to the good things that are provided in this world, the good things that he has instructed. Therefore, when the other things, as I try to choke on my own slobber again, therefore, as the other things come into my way, I cast them aside. This is a negative obedience and it is a good thing. That's what it means to hate what is evil. And realize, Christian, you're going to have a lot of practice at this because you live in a fallen world with fallen people who are not clinging to what is good. To therefore forget that and to just say, no, 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 it's fine. You do what you want. You do however you live. You define love. You define goodness. You define mercy. And we'll just be over here in the corner doing... That's not actually evaluating. That's not 
testing and living as a sacrifice in the world, proving the will of God, exercising the gifts, and clinging to the right teaching that he has given. That's abdicating those things. If you are capable of abdicating those things, then the Holy Spirit is not giving you that swat in the butt that you require, in which case you need to repent and trust in Christ so that you will get that swat in the butt so you'll be in the right direction. Part of moving in the right direction in this world is moving away from the things of the world. And that's going to be demonstrated as we keep going. So verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. This is an obvious one because it's supposed to be the hallmark of Christ's people. So go back to what Jesus taught in uh, John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And by the way, don't again let the world twist that. That all those things we just talked about with verse 9 about the right definition of love apply here in John 13 and apply in verse 10 to live in brotherly love. Verse 10, the computer is falling asleep. No. <laughs> it's, the sad part is it clicked earlier in the wrong direction. She's probably clicking and it's not doing anything. It'll catch up eventually. That com- it needs another update. It want, that computer wants to update three times a week and I can't keep up with it. So that definition of what love is biblically matters because it has to stand. I told you it'd catch up eventually. It has to stand in the right place. <laughs> if it doesn't, You've again abdicated, you've again surrendered, you've gone the wrong direction. Verse 11, so being devoted to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So, all right, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words, whatever you're doing, you do excellently. So as you love in excellence, you do all of your service in excellence. That's what it means to be diligent. That's what it means to be fervent in spirit. If you want a summary of this, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In other words, because of the work that God has done, because of the change the Holy Spirit has wrought, because of the renewing of your mind at the beginning of this chapter, you are evaluating how much of your world and how much of your life. All of it. Therefore, you are seeking to bring every part of this captive. You are therefore living excellently because you are surrendering all the avenues of your life to God. Verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, continuing on, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That's a rundown of spiritual gifts and functioning in sanctification that I think we can summarize very well based on what we said last week, and that is... This is what it looks like to worship well. Because remember, you don't engage in worship, you are worship. You live it out day by day. Hebrews chapter 12. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, which by the way, that cloud of witnesses is chapter 11. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember, Worship's not something you pick up and put down occasionally. It's supposed to be every single aspect of your life. Whatever you do in word and deed, do as a sacrifice, as an offering unto God. So there's a combination of Colossians 3 and Romans 12. Why? Because you can't do otherwise. Because to do otherwise would be like Jeremiah. The word has come to me. And I don't want to talk, but if I don't talk, it's like, 
fire in my bones. That's what Jeremiah says. So he's stuck doing what? He has to. You ever had this with family members? You ever, you ever just had family members who just like they have their little pet sin and they won't get rid of it and they won't go away and you show up to the family reunion and you're going, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to have this argument. I'm not going to pick this fight. And then what ends up happening like five seconds after the potato salad makes it around the table? Mm-hmm. You did what? You said something because or they asked you a question and you're like, and there you go. And then you, you, you know, the vomit comes out and everything's there. And now everyone's mad at you and you've ruined Christmas. Congratulations, go team. <laughs> Why though? Because Holy Spirit's in the back going, you can let this stand? You can let this go again? And the answer was no. Maybe, I don't know. Why did you do it? Because you cared. Because you actually loved them. And when you see the destructive sin, when you see the hateful thing, you say what? What it is and what the truth is. Now, that doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't really make you a good person. It just makes you a person that's being sanctified, a person that's being guided by the Spirit, a person that's living in a sinful world and trying to make the best of things. This is why you never see me get upset where, where people are like, you know what, I've had this argument with, you know, I'll get this on occasion, you know, with granddaughters or nieces or nephews or whatever. It's like, you know, I've had this argument a dozen times and I just can't do it anymore. I get it. Or then someone else will come, you know, I've had this argument a dozen times, but I can't let it go. I get it. You know who's right? Both of them, because who's got to stand before God and give an account for their conscience? Yeah, you do. So are you done? Are you done with this? Have you, have you proclaimed the truth? You know, they know, you know that they know that you know that they know. Yeah. Okay. If we're going around the mountain another time, then Okay. Yeah, this is the argument that you have. I mean, I've done this with friends. I've done this with family members. I can't tell you when you're done having that fight. The spirit can. Trust in him. He's better at his job than I am at doing his job. Could you imagine that, that God's better at something than me? It's, it's shameful, isn't it? <laughs> but are you worshiping well? Are you evaluating? Are you thinking through and asking not what makes my life easier, not what makes this gathering more pleasant for everybody else, but what actually honors God? Because this is, this is the goal we're supposed to be striving for. Things like 2 Timothy 4. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his, who have love, who all who we, bleh. if I could read, all who have loved his appearing. I got two lines back to back and they're messing me up. I'm telling you, you'd, you'd think I talked for a living or something. I'd be better at this. <sighs> What's Paul explaining? I've lived my life. I've answered the call. I, is there more work to be done? Yes. You know who's going to have to do it? Somebody else. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. This is what he tells, what is it, the Ephesian church? Yeah, on his way back to Jerusalem, I'm innocent of the blood of men because I have not stopped or ceased from preaching the whole counsel of God. Didn't hide from it, didn't run from it. You asked questions, I gave you answers. I'm gonna stand before God and be like, I'm good. And if I'm not good, you're gonna send somebody who's gonna make it good. And that's good with me because that's where my trust is. And that's Christian where you're supposed to get to. How do you get there? By living a life of worship, by thinking through. Sorry about that. All of a sudden, my stomach decided to growl, and the stuff that's trying to choke me decided to move at the same time. That was unusual. I apologize. <sighs> 
by living well, by worshiping well, by seeing all of your aspe- all the aspects of your life, the thoughts that you have, the work that you do, the offerings that you give as just that, offerings unto God, not as pleasing in your sight, but as honoring in his. This is the goal. This is the evaluation. This is what Romans 12 is trying to build. Why is Romans 12 trying to build that? Because again, the world was lost in its sin, but by God's grace, Christ has redeemed his people, and Christ is redeeming his people, and he will sanctify them, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, and that the creation will ultimately be cleansed, and this is the promise that God has laid down from the beginning. Therefore, you rest in him, you are secure in him, you worship and serve well in all of these things. So go again, 1 John 3. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the standard as it's laid out. That's the sacrifice. That's the taking up your cross and following after Christ daily. That's the counting all the things of this world as rubbish, as Philippians 3 would tell you, in what? In hopes of attaining Christ in his kingdom. That's what Paul is trying to lay down here, is before you get into the rest of the application, which is going to be real fun because you talk about answering and digging up some fun questions. Before you get there, you have to make sure that the footing you enter into your evaluation of your life is sound. How do you make sure that it's sound? By recognizing the work that the Holy Spirit has done, by testing all things by that, and then by ensuring that you worship day in and day out. So you've moved from the brethren. So this is how you live with one another. This is how you live in light of the world. But what about that world? Because don't they just love that when you do this? Don't they just love a group of people honoring God and clinging to him and pointing out sin? They think that's spanky and sweet, don't they? Yeah. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Oh, come on, man. Just take a little bit of smiting. Just Okay, no, okay. Now again, anything new here if you're Paul? Did Paul be like, you know what? You Christians have gotten entirely too mean with your smiting of the infidels. It's no, no, he's done what? He's built on what has come before. Uh, Luke 6, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now be honest. What question do you have next? They're mean. They're evil. They're sinful. Why? Why do I have to be the good guy here? Why is it always incumbent upon me to be the nice one? Well, the Old Testament has an answer. Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. So this is the two sides of the coin, right? You cling to what is good and you hate what is evil. But what happens when the evil things hate me? Do I get to take my vengeance out on the world? No, that's not your job. That's God's job. Because he's redeeming his people how? In the midst of judgment. In time, their foot will slip. In time, it will happen. This is part of the way that you can rest, is looking upon the sin of the world and recognizing, I don't have to judge this. I just proclaim what is true and know that either Christ will have covered this or judgment's coming. Either way, I'm good. Why am I good? Because Christ has covered my sin. 
because I have been covered and I have a place reserved in the kingdom. Pray everybody else does too, but at the same token, who's not in charge of that? Me. So what do I do? I abide in the truth. I proclaim the gospel of Christ. I offer myself as a sacrifice and trust that no matter what may befall, he's got this. Again, just like they joke, the Holy Spirit's better at his job than I am. God's better at running his universe than I am. I know that's hard for us to hear sometimes, but it's, it's the reality of how these things come about is that I'm looking out there because be honest, you'd have smited the place already, wouldn't you? Be honest. If you, were, if you had God's power for like five minutes, how, how many times did you have Sodom and Gomorrah this country? <laughs> See, some of you are giggling and be like, don't ask me these questions. You know what the answers are. And, and yet you haven't, right? Because you don't get that power. And yet he hasn't. Why not? Well, because it's a different work that's going on. And he will. He will. When the time comes, it'll occur. And in the meantime, what do you do? Live your life as a sacrifice. Offer yourself to prove the will of God, being renewed, being strengthened, moving forward. Now, again, what I'm telling you sounds really good. It's easy to say this. How easy is it to do this? Yeah, which is, again, why I tell you, yes, remember who you were, Christian. Remember who you are. John 15. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. See, this isn't you going out and be like, I am going to show the love of God by not hating you people. Hmm. Bad place. You're already in the wrong spot, aren't you? This is my, this is my joke about the Oreo cookies, right? What happens when you go to Walmart and you say, I'm not buying the Oreos? Not going to do it. Not even going to go down that aisle. We all know what's landing in that cart as you go through checkout, right? What is it? Yeah, too bad, because you walked by it three times to demonstrate your willpower. To be like, nope, see, look, I walked by that aisle, and I didn't put the Oreos in the cart. I didn't even go down that aisle. Then you walked by again, and you looked a little more like, nope, 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 I've got this. And then the third time, you did what? <laughs> no, 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 no. You got the thin Oreos because they're better, because I won't eat as many. Right? That's exactly what you did. You got the thin ones. <laughs> or you got the off-brand. <laughs> see? See? I didn't buy any Oreos. As, as I had a friend of mine used to call them, um, used to call those the Baptist Oreos. Because every, uh, every church function had those. They were the off-brand Oreo cookies. And he's like, only, I've only ever seen Baptist churches buy these. So he's like, they're Baptist Oreos. I'm like, ten years later, you know what they still are in my mind? Baptist Oreos. <laughs> The sad part, I had those things at so many church functions, I got used to them. I actually liked them better because they taste different. And it's like, no, I actually like these better than buy the regular Oreos. It's like, no, they don't taste right. I want, you get used to something. But anyway, why though? Because you're so focused on what you're not going to do that all that was in your brain was that, and you ended up falling. So you go out into the world and be like, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be hateful. I'm not going to yell at things. And you're already in the wrong place. No, no, no. I'm going to look at Christ. I'm going to seek to honor and serve him. I'm going to ask myself tough questions and trust that the Holy Spirit will give me the right tough answers because he will as long as who listens to them. <laughs> that's always the difficult part, but that's how this works. Is not by you going, no, 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 no. I'm going to bless the world. I'm not going to persecute. I'm going to do all. Mm. No, I'm going to honor God. 
I'm going to serve God because of who he is and what he has done and the reality of who I am in light of that. I'm going to lean into his power and trust that he will accomplish. So verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Okay, so in our love, we can walk together in Christ. This is kind of the hope that has gone before. Things like Proverbs 17. He who mocks the poor taunts his maker. He who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. In other words, you see the world rightly and you dwell in it rightly. I mean, trip, trip. I'm terrible at this one, by the way, just in case you're ever wondering. The, um, the verse 15 one, the, the uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because I had so many broken relationships with like family and friends and parents growing up that genuine emotions mess me up. So like when everybody's sad or it's uncomfortable, I start making weird jokes because I am uncomfortable and don't know how I'm supposed to act. <laughs> no, yeah, if you're ever really sick and in the hospital, I'm sorry. I'm apologizing ahead of time. I am going to be weird and awkward and bring my wife. Because <laughs> she does small talk way better. Be like, you want to go with me? I can't, okay? If they never come back to church, you know why. <laughs> I don't think that's happened. <laughs> I'm thinking now, hold on. <laughs> why though? Because I'm thinking about who? Me. I'm worried about how uncomfortable I am or am I going to say the right thing? Mm, this is dumb. I'm not good at any of this. What honors God? What pleases him? What serves him? Now the focus is off of me. It's in the right place. You guys think I'm kidding. Cameron will vouch. Socially awkward. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then go home and for the next three days, why did I say that? All you had to do was stand there and be quiet. Why did you say that? <laughs> Sorry, it is what it is. But instead we do what? We see the world rightly. We understand what it's supposed to be. And again, what honors God? I don't want to try to make everything wonderful when everything's not wonderful. It's one of those lessons I learned years ago. I've told you this before. First sermon I ever preached, I had this sweet little old lady in church come up to me and go, she goes, I'm glad I was there. I was glad I was here to hear that this morning. Since I have no idea what to say, so I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, I didn't say I enjoyed it. I said I was glad I heard it. What I do? <laughs> and I'm looking at Cameron like, what did I say? And she's like, I don't think you said anything weird. I'm like, okay. Learned a good lesson about the Holy Spirit. But it's one of the reasons why you don't see me also try to be happy when I'm not happy or try to be sad when I'm not sad because I learned a long time ago that you, know, you guys all have different things going on. Some of you are rejoicing over the good news you've received and some of you are mourning things that you've lost and the Holy Spirit needs to comfort and the Holy Spirit needs to strengthen those things. I just need to give you what's actually in scripture and not try to be something else. That's why I just kind of give you what I give you. And every once in a while, the random thought comes running through my head and like an idiot, I say it and we just kind of go with it from there. But the Holy Spirit is the one you lean on. It is, that is where Christ's mercy and comfort are. I can't guess how to lift you up or guess how to bring you to the right place, but he can. So take the truth, understand it in your life, apply it, worship well, and know that when it's time to rejoice, you'll rejoice. When it's time to mourn, you'll mourn. And this is how we evaluate who we are and what we are in the world, in light of God and all that he has accomplished. So verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Say, that seems like you're reminding me of something you just told me to not take the vengeance thing. And well, it seems like that because 
He is, because I can tell you that, and you're going to still want to do what? You ever seen that in traffic where somebody honks a horn at somebody else, and all of a sudden they're racing down the road for no good reason? It's like, what just happened? You honked. Get over it. Move on with life. Well, we can't, because I have been wronged. And what's the worst thing that could possibly happen to me? That, because I have decided. No, instead of that, you're being reminded what? To trust. To rest. How? Leviticus 19. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. If you're ever wondering, that's one of the places where that summation of the commandments comes from. Notice that fine line, though. Um, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart, but you may surely reprove your neighbor. So, in other words, see his sin, hate his sin, call out his sin, but don't be mad at him. Now, how you, how you doing with that? <laughs> How's that working out for you? Beautifully, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. Why? Because we've forgotten some things. Who runs this place? How is he running this place? And what has he called you to? See, these are the reminders, the reminders even from the Old Testament that God actually is capable of running his universe, that God has got this even when we think we should. This is why I love things like um, Ecclesiastes 12. The conclusion when all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Remember, we went through Ecclesiastes, had great fun, right? But that's the great summation, is Solomon looking at the world and being like, well, all of my stuff is meaningless, and all of my money is meaningless, and all of the joys of food and life are meaningless. And so now what do I do? And I'm going to grow old, and I'm going to die, and some fool is going to inherit my stuff, and it won't matter anything. Yeah, because you have all those things are focused where? Instead, remember what? That it's God who judges that it is God who we serve, that there is an eternal kingdom that we long for, not an earthly one. Remember that things are well, things make sense. Forget that eyes have come down. You start thinking about you and what you can get and everything goes terrible. Hence the reminder, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So Again, something Paul has said before, 1 Thessalonians 5, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. This is is kind of summation of everything Paul has been laying out. As much as it depends on you, love people. Even those people. You know the ones I'm talking about. Because when I say even those people, you all thought of someone different. Because you all have that person. It's, my, it's always my joke about families. Like Everybody has that person at the family reunion that they don't want to deal with and don't want to talk to. And if you don't know who that person at the family reunion is, it's because it's you. And I'll never forget, I told that joke one time. And I had these three ladies who were all cousins come up to me afterwards and be like, not in our family. Our family gets along and we don't have anyone like that. And I'm sitting there going, well, I knew them. And you know who it was in their family? It was them. <laughs> And I'm just standing there going, dear Lord, do not let me make a face right now. Dear Lord, get me out of here because there are times in life when this cannot be controlled (laughs) and I need to be rescued. And I'm just like, so if you ever see me in a conversation and like I'm doing this, come get me. I'm just trying to lock every muscle in my face. Please come get me and save us all. (laughs) Because if I think it, the face is going to make it. And then once that happens, you know what's going to happen next? 
I'm gonna say it. So you gotta you gotta come get me before that place comes. See, Cameron won't. Cameron will let me say it. So she yeah. <laughs> well, that's well, the the only person in my family and in my life worse than worse at keeping a poker face in those situations than me is Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> she won't say it, but she's like, mm. <laughs> it's like, what is that? You know, we can all see you, right? Anyway, as much as it depends on you, and always remember that there are places in this world, there are people in this world, you will not be at peace at. You can try until Jesus comes back. You will not be at peace with them. You know why? Because they will not be at peace with you. What do you do? You recognize who you are in Christ. You recognize what the Holy Spirit has accomplished and that he will bring you to a good end. And because you recognize these things, you think through every aspect of your life and seek to live it as an offering unto God. Even when they hate you, even when they scream at you, even when they despise you, and then you offer your life as an offering unto God, seeking to please and serve him above all else. That's what it looks like that eat as much as it depends on you. You can't make people like you. You can't even make people be nice to you and tolerate you, but you can serve God and you can be faithful. And if they hate you, know that the world hated Jesus first. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised by the hatred. Don't be surprised by the sin. And recognize that this is the thing that Christ has warned you about. This is what it looks like to have wars and rumors of wars and neighbor against neighbor and household against household. Live your life as an offering as much as it depends on you. Can't control them, but you can control you. Poker face, right? <laughs> Why? Security. Whose? Yours. Ow. <laughs> you heard that, right? That, that hurt a little. <laughs> Your security in who? In God. So things like Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. For the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul can know that because Paul has experienced that because that's what the Holy Spirit is actually doing. You're at peace, not because you're at peace with them, because you're at peace with him. You're probably going to be at war with a lot of them. But live peacefully, proclaiming the truth, because you are at peace with God. And by the way, you can rest there because how secure is your place with God? This is... Excuse me. This is why I remind you of things like John 10 all the time. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of their hand. So what's left? Well, I got ahead of Paul. So what's left is for Paul to actually quote the Old Testament in verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, so Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32, we read it already. But he rests there. Why? Colossians 3. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. 
But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. In other words, Paul can quote Deuteronomy 32 here because he is God's and God is his. He has been changed. He has been transformed. He is evaluating his life and he goes out into the world not seeking to get his own, but to build the kingdom of God. Knowing what? Proverbs 25. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on a soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. See, if they're going to be judged, who's going to do it? God. If you're going to be rewarded, who's going to do it? God. Trusting who? That he's got this. That the creator and sustainer of the universe can actually run the place. I know that's a simple thing to say out loud. It's a lot harder to remember in practice. But it's part of, the, it's part of your foundation moving forward. That I serve God. I don't serve me. I serve him. He is the one who is building me up. He is the one who will judge sin. I simply rest. What do I do? I proclaim the truth as I know it. I proclaim the truth as I stand in it and trust that God will accomplish. And that's why this chapter ends in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because in this world, I trust in Christ. I don't have to borrow their methods. I don't have to live like them. I don't have to get into the fray. I can stand above and proclaim what is good and right. First Peter 2, putting aside all malice, putting aside all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So do I look at the world and see the evil in it? Yes. How now, brown cow? Live a life in service to God, proclaiming the truth, not surrendering anything, not giving any ground, because there's no ground to give, because how much of the ground belongs to God? All of it. Therefore, I stand where he has placed me. I trust in the kingdom that he is building, and I also trust in the power that he wields, that their judgment will come or his mercy will reign. And either way, I will rejoice and serve as I live my life as an offering. This is what it looks like, a focus on Christ, an understanding that it is his power that builds up, a pouring out of the spirit in me. In other words, love for God, love for neighbor, love for the brethren, and leaning into him in all the aspects of my life. Because that's what he's called me to, that's what he's strengthened me for, and that's how I live in light of his calling of his people. Let's pray.